You're listening to a podcast by Oak Magazine. I would like to acknowledge the Dja Wurrung people as the traditional owners of the land on which this episode was recorded. I pay my respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures. Welcome to A Friend of Mine, a series of conversations with some incredible and inspiring women in business from regional and rural Australia. I'm Kimberly Finesse your host and the founder and editor of Oak Magazine. And I cannot wait to introduce you to some amazing female entrepreneurs who will share with you their experience and knowledge of what it takes to start, grow and scale a successful business. So let me introduce you to a friend of mine. Transitioning back to work after parental leave is hard. As Sarah G watched her return to work date creep closer, She began to feel an internal struggle between wanting to spend precious time with her son and needing to maintain her standing in the workplace. Sarah was on the verge of throwing away 15 years of training and hard work as a business and commercial lawyer before deciding to forge a career on her own terms. She launched her business, Curium Legal, in 2020. In just four months of trading, Sarah replaced and exceeded her full-time wage. Being able to set her own fees, combined with the lower overheads of working from home, has meant that more local business owners can afford to engage Sarah for their legal services. Sarah shares with us her business journey and talks about some common mishaps that business owners often face around trademark, e-com policies, partnerships and collaborations. She also explains why senior women are leaving the industry and why it's important that we fix it. Meet my friend Sarah from Curium Legal. Hello, Sarah, and welcome to our special five-part series in celebration of International Women's Day. Hi, Kimberly. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining. You are a lawyer, so I've picked your episode as the first in this series because preparing the law side of your business right from the get-go is so much cheaper, (laughs) easier, and less stressful for everyone involved. Agreed? Yes, I think you might even be quoting me from Oak Magazine right there. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) And I think also from experience, uh, yeah, I can definitely go with the um, it's just cheaper, easier and less stressful. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So I tell people it's like going to the dentist. So if if you um, go to the dentist regularly, um, you're probably not going to get cavities, um, but you can't prove um, in retrospect that that was what didn't make you have cavities. Um, So if you regularly go to the dentist, um, that's going to be a lot cheaper than getting a head full of fillings and crowns. Um, But people don't go to the lawyer until they have the dispute um, or the very expensive claim um, when it could have been solved right up front. So And I'm sure we're going to have lots of um, little stories. I think everyone has one and it's sort of having one that you learn and then move. Well, for me, I've moved into another business knowing what to set up first. So, I mean, even that was was more helpful. But still, um, some of it just comes back to seeing good in people, doesn't it? And you just want to trust that things are going to go right and that there would never be an issue. But um, 
yeah, it's just human nature that that unfortunately doesn't happen. <laughs> no, that's right. And I am a professional pessimist. Um, so I definitely provide the other side of the coin uh, for these types of things. Um, and I tend to see the worst in people every day. So yeah, I think it's good to have that balance. Yeah. I have to ask then, are you a glass half full, empty or yeah, how do you look at that saying? Uh, I think I'm glass half full. But I'm always like a little bit suspicious. I don't know if I'm contradicting myself. Um, (laughs) So I will trust people until they give me a reason not to trust them. Yep. Um, And, yeah, I'm always a little bit suspicious of making sure they're doing the right thing. But generally people don't rip you off. Generally people are good. It's just that I tend to see the worst of it in my day job. Absolutely. Um, I've just come off the back of a couple of workshops this week and um, we must have come up with discussing something. I said, I just, I look at topics and issues with that crisis comms lens, Mm, like having worked in, you know, um, health and education and especially around times when there are lots of redundancies and, you know, there was issues left, right and centre. Like I just can't help but think, okay, what's, how can this be perceived and what's the worst that can happen? Are we sure that this is, you know, yes. um, a post where we want to step into and and that sort of thing? But, yeah, probably the same as you. I'm still like optimistic and love life but, you know, you've been in that situation where you have seen what can happen when things go wrong and it's you want to just do whatever you can to avoid it. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Well, as I said, you are a lawyer. Tell us a little bit about the journey for you becoming one. Uh, Sure. So I'm probably um, the most naive accidental lawyer um, that you will come across. Um, (laughs) So my journey literally started with my year 11 teacher saying, you're really good at legal studies, you should be a lawyer. And no one in my family had ever been to university before. Um, I didn't know what that involved. Um, I just signed up um, for law school, got accepted, went there and then tried to keep up with everybody else and what was going on. So um, I was way out of my depth and it's probably a good thing I was so naive because I don't know if I would have done it if I knew how hard it would be. And that's probably been common for my whole career since then. So the first couple of years of law school were really hard as I tried to keep up um, with everybody else. And then once I found my footing, um, I smashed it. I pulled up my GPA, um, graduated with first class honours, was super proud of myself. Um, And then I started my graduate career, went right back to zero again, Um, (laughs) had to learn everything from scratch again. And then I feel like I spent... I mean, it was eight years working in firms, just trying to soak up as much as I could from as many people as I could and just always feeling like there was these secrets that other people knew about this industry that I didn't know. And I was just trying to understand how everything worked and and why it was this big mystery and why it wasn't accessible to normal people and why why we use big words that people don't understand. And yeah, it's it's been a journey. It's been really cool. Um, and I'm really excited to be on this side of it. But yeah, looking back, I just see naivety all over my little career. <laughs> <laughs> Um, some of the places you've worked is, um, you know, Canberra, but also Aubrey, is that correct? Yes. And Bendigo, yep. which is yep. hometown for both of us. Um, what is it about the regional rural areas that you enjoyed the most? 
Um, I think I was probably set up um, for regional practice because my first job was five minutes down the road from my home. Um, And then I went to Canberra and I had to commute for 40 minutes on a bus to work uh, while I was at uni. And I thought, what is this? Um, I don't want to commute for 40 minutes on a bus. Uh, This is awful. (laughs) Uh, So as soon as I got to the end of uh, school, because I was at um, in Canberra for uni. Once I realised uh, the commute struggle of living in the city, I thought that regional areas were the place that I needed to be just for lifestyle. Uh, so I thought that I was probably compromising a career for lifestyle, and I was already making that choice as a graduate that I was more concerned with lifestyle over career, uh, which has probably been a theme over the next 10 years. Really? So trying to chase that work-life balance per se? Yeah, yeah, Mm. exactly. How's that going? (laughs) Uh, Well, I have two children under two and a business, so, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there's this balance Um, (laughs) everywhere all over that, actually. (laughs) Yeah, it's going really well. And my husband has a full-time job. So, yeah, yeah, going super well. No, it it is better than trying to work not for yourself, I think. I think I'm still making the best choices that I can make, um, but I still probably am a little bit crazy. Well, let's get into this then. So obviously you run your own business now as a, as a lawyer. Um, what was that moment for you that was just like, I can't do this anymore. Like I need to get out. I need to either go out on my own or uh, yeah, even find another career. Well, at the time I was on mat leave, uh, so I'd had my little boy probably six months earlier and I was thinking about going back to work and it was the middle of COVID and I was just thinking, what does my working life look like? Uh, how, how can I balance being a really good and valued employee, um, being committed to my role, being committed to my clients, but also having this baby at home who... I, I have this, um, you know, innate desire to look after and nurture and be around. Uh, and I don't want to ship him off to daycare four or five days a week. Um, but I also want to be good at my job. And I just had this tension going on in my brain and I couldn't resolve it. And I think when you're on mat leave and particularly probably when you're breastfeeding, you have a lot of time to just sit with your thoughts and, uh, And it's probably a big shift as well that happens in your brain when you have a child um, around your value system and what you want to do with your life and what work-life balance means to you. And I just couldn't reconcile it. And so it was stressing me out um, to the point where I couldn't stop thinking about it. And I thought, I'm just going to quit my job. I can't go back. I can't make it work. I can't be a mum. I'm I'm going to take um, a different role in a different field, um, apply some of those transferable skills that lawyers have um, to other to other roles and particularly lawyers that work in the business space um, and I'll just figure it out. Uh, I, I just can't do both. And then about two months later, I had a complete breakdown and I was like, what have I done? <laughs> I've just thrown away 15 years of training um, between, you know, school and working for, for 10 years and thought, well, how dare they take that away from me? How dare there be a system that mums can't actually work in? This can't be the reality. This can't be the choice that I have to make. Uh, 
you know, like I was really resentful of having been put in that position where I had to choose one or the other um, and take away all of that training and, and everything that I'd worked for. And I mean, I know that I put myself in that position. Um, I'm certainly not blaming anybody. Um, <laughs> but I just feel like there was this system that I didn't fit in purely because I was trying to be a working mum. And that made me angry. Um, and angry is probably um, this this word that's taken on a little bit of a new new meaning in the in the media recently with young women getting angry about systems and I'm thinking about Grace Tame and Brittany Higgins and I really like how refreshing it is to actually use that word and um, yeah it, it was it was just angry. Yeah they're doing um, amazing those two women um, mm, it's just incredible to watch and um, yeah it's in- I think it's also if when you have girls yourself as well you're like wow like you know we we want them to speak out we want them to you know have their say but yet, mm. you know, that sometimes isn't, you know, looked upon well when they're at school. It's great when yes. they're little and, you know, they're yes. bossy and they're vocal. And you yeah. sort of can see that now coming through, like, no, we need these skills. We need them too because somewhere along the line we lose our voice we do. and just feel less empowered to actually stand up and, and have a have a say. Mm. But there was something that um, obviously I was aware of anyway. I think just reading other people's stories, I mean, there seems to be a lot of lawyers that don't or female lawyers specifically um that don't last you know a full lifetime career as a lawyer and then it was reading your story in oak as well as um obviously your pitch for the podcast that just brings back some of those you know those statistics and and the fact that you've lived it sarah that um you know it is really hard for a senior female lawyer in that industry did you want to talk a little bit about that? Like what, what makes it so hard? Why is your industry really tough for women to, to see through to, you know, 60 and beyond? Yeah, so absolutely. I am a walking cliche um, that absolutely represents the statistics behind me. Um, about the 7 to 12 year mark is where all of the senior women well, not all, but a, a great swathe of, of these women leave the industry for in-house roles, for government roles, or to work for themselves, um, which of course is around the same time that they're having children. Uh, so the statistics that we're sitting at is 53% of legal graduates are women, um, which is, is more than Incredible. half. Yeah. Um, and then we get to the other end and there's 17.5% are CEOs and 26.8% are directors. Um, the statistics are thought that equity partners are around 19%, um, which is unreal. Uh, and the barristers have the highest gender pay gap in Australia of any mm. occupation, 184%. Oh, my gosh. So the average male barrister is paid 184% of the average female barrister. Um, there is a push at the moment for equitable briefing, um, so making sure that organisations who brief barristers often are aiming for at least 30% of those briefs going to women. Uh, the latest statistics on that was that 25% of briefs were going to women, which is great, um, but the fees, if you compare the fees on those briefs compared to the fees going to men, women were still only making 17%. So we see the higher value work going to men. Uh, and of course, we don't have any statistics on women of colour and First Nations women, um, but studies in the UK have shown um, 
there that women earn 53% of what men do. And then when you look at women of colour, they only own 41% of what men do. Um, so, yeah, it's um, I can only imagine that it's worsened in COVID with the extra family responsibilities sitting on women as well. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think a lot of this uh, comes back to... Um, and I hate to use the word boys club. Um, I think it is in in the media a lot recently. Um, but our institutions are controlled um, by rich old white men. Um, they are systems designed for rich old white men. Um, and they're designed for these men who have wives at home, um, who are taking care of the household for them. Uh, and so these men thrive and, and continue to thrive because they have those systems to support them. Um, they go to the places where the other old rich white men are to talk business. Um, they have the power. They support each other. Um, and it makes it really hard for women to get into those areas um, because they sort of have the, the stranglehold on the institutions. And what we've seen in parliament and in the courts and in businesses is that it's starting to turn. Uh, so where where women like me, we sort of carve out our own place and we're not threatening those power bases, I guess, because we just take ourselves out of the running. We take ourselves out of those big businesses and we just carve out our own sort of space. But what women like Brittany Higgins um, and Grace Tame are doing is they're saying, this is what the results um, this is the culture that it creates. Let's put a big spotlight on it and say this is not the right thing to be doing. Um, we need to hold you to a higher standard. You can't hide in the darkness anymore. Um, we need um, women in these places drawing attention to these things um, to, to bring everybody's standard up higher. And, and what I hope, and probably three or four generations before me have said exactly the same thing, but I hope that the next generation doesn't have to find a separate part of society to practice in. I hope that they can actually sit in the big institutions and that they're designed for women with flexible working arrangements, um, where flexible working doesn't mean working four days a week, but actually trying to fit 50 hours of work into four days a week and being paid 80% of the salary. Um, you know, there's there's just so many problems with the structure of how things work that women can't find their own footing mm. um, to be successful. Yeah. So the thing that you could look at that is like, why do then we need women in this industry? Do you know what I mean? Like for someone wanting to be a lawyer and you've got all these statistics and not such a great picture some days of, of what it's like. <laughs> and as I said, it's, it's not just from you. There are so many women um, that fill my Instagram feed that are really successful business entrepreneurs now. Um, you know, the, the question that I'd say is like, why do we need senior female lawyers? Why do we need females in those top positions? Like what impact can they have back in? I think what we are finding is that uh, the the systems, so the firms that I've worked in, for example, they are not accessible for startups. They're not accessible for people who don't have huge budgets. Um, they're not accessible for women who work from home in small businesses because their budget just doesn't stretch for the services that those those law firms provide. Uh, so when you have lawyers that do work from home, um, that run the same exact types of businesses that those women are, are running, um, they can provide services and options that actually meet 
those people. Um, so you're looking at women-run businesses, supporting women-run businesses, budgets match, and they actually get the services that they need instead of being forgotten. Um, the problem, I guess, is that those women who are sitting in those businesses, and this is what people are telling me every day, they want to access capital. Um, they want investors in their business. They want to grow. They have these massive ideas and they're having trouble um, accessing seed funding, for example. Um, so they can't find the people to finance their businesses to help them grow. That's still an area that men dominate. Um, men are investing in male-run businesses. Um, so we just see this entire structure where there's two, like I almost see it as two economies, um, where you've got men in big businesses and women in small businesses, and the women are just trying desperately to get into that area um, and just just being locked out. Um, so I guess that's the frustration. Um, when you have smart women um, who can invest, who can support, who can provide legal advice, it makes those women competitive. It does, yep, yep. It's so interlaced, isn't it? Like just It everything. is. There's oh, so much going on. There yeah. is, there is. But good for me being a small business owner. Good for most of our listeners. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you went out and started your own business and now providing legal services that, you know, are accessible for me and my business friends, which is amazing. So mm -hmm. tell me, how did you start that business? How did you get that first client? Um, so I guess where I left off before about sort of being angry that um, I didn't have my career anymore, um, it, I, I wanted to do the course uh, that meant that I could retain my practicing certificate and I could work for myself. Um, and my intention then was that I'd do some contracting work. Uh, there might be some clients that I run across from time to time that I could, you know, um, keep my finger in the pie. Um, but it, it wasn't meant to be a business. Uh, it was just meant to be something that I could keep up to date and keep my skills so that I had something to fall back on later on when I decided what it was that that looked like. And then I think it was month three uh, where I had so many clients contact me um, through my LinkedIn and through my Facebook pages and I realised that I was running a business. Um, <laughs> I think that happens to so many of us, Sarah, honestly. That's how it starts out, just doing some work for this person and that person. And, yeah, before you know it, it's like, man, I think I need a business name. And Yeah, that's right. Um, so month four, I made more money than I had been making when I was working full time. Wow. Good on you. Um, it has just grown month on month. Um it's it's a balance as well. I mean, it's not just women in small business. It's it's people that I've worked big businesses um, in Bendigo and beyond that I've worked with for years, um, who are more than happy to work with me working from home around um, my crazy children. Um, so I've just been so well supported, um, and as I said, it it just completely accidental and I'm just so grateful um, for the people who have supported me and who have um, you know sought me out when 
I wasn't that easy to find and probably still aren't that easy to find. (laughs) (laughs) It says a lot about how good you are at your job though. Honestly, I hope that you know that. Um, Yeah, that that's why people seek you out as well is because you are amazing at what you do and um, yeah, you just weren't being recognised where you were. Absolutely. Mm, yeah, no, I think um, I think that's been a nice pat on the back for me. But um, I also think that I have uh, a huge amount of responsibility, and I've I've put that on myself that uh, I need to make sure that I don't replicate what my work was when I was working for other people. I do want to create a business that is accessible and is has women in small business at the front and centre of everything that I do. Um, So whether those are all of the people that I'm working with um, is sort of beside the point. But when I'm innovating, when I'm thinking about what tech I use, um, when I'm looking at um, developing courses and websites and things, um, even, you know, every social media post, it's all about women in small business and what can they get for free? Um, what can they do the legwork for to reduce the co- the legal costs that they're paying? Um, how can we provide sort of blended DIY services um, so that they're not getting $5,000 legal bills? Um, let's try and chop a zero off that. Um, so, yeah, that's... Um, Every day when I'm thinking about the marketing and the business growth and the direction of where I'm going, it's with those women in mind Um, and everything else is just um, paying the bills, I guess. Do you struggle with bookkeeping or wonder how your business is doing financially? Yep, me too. Meet my finance friend and sponsor of this episode, Sarah Henney from Henney CFO. Sarah is based in Longreach, rural Queensland, and is empowering women to make confident financial decisions with her new flagship program, Bookkeeping for Profit. This unique online bookkeeping and business course provides you with the information, systems, and support you need to set up your own business, understand GST, read a P&L, manage cash flow, all of it, and more. Work through the online training at your own pace with weekly support and access to a community of like-minded businesswomen from rural and regional areas who, like you, want to change the game, have a crack, and be confident in their bookkeeping because you've got to know your business to grow your business. If you want to know more about the program or register for a free masterclass and work with Sarah, head to the show notes or find Sarah on Instagram at HennyCFO. Now back to the episode. Well, um, I think there are so many uh, stories and you'd agree of just um, small business owners having little blunders and then um, having to come seek out your services. Did you want to run me through a few of those? Do you have some little scenarios so that, you know, someone that is very lucky and has never heard of one um, can be familiar or those that have been in a blunder feel okay because there's others that have as well? Yeah, oh, trademarks. Trademarks Mm. is a huge area. Um, Probably for women in small business, this is the story I hear the most. Um, you know, we didn't have the money up front to register the trademark. Someone has just uh, started a business with one word different to ours. They've copied our um, our colour scheme. They've copied our product line. They've talked to our suppliers. They've replicated our business. Um, what can we do about it? Uh, that's it's really tricky. Um, there, there definitely are options if you don't have a trademark, um, but they're more expensive. Uh, so sometimes investing that little bit 
in trademarking up front will save you thousands later. And what ultimately ends up happening more than half of the time is that that original business ends up rebranding because it's cheaper to rebrand than to pay the legal fees of trying to force someone else to rebrand. And that's heartbreaking. It's so difficult to watch someone take somebody else's reputation and then they have to start again. So you'd recommend, Sarah, that everyone look like, I mean, obviously depending on that financial situation, but um, to get that trademark set up sort of earlier rather than later? Like, do we all need a trademark? And what are we trademarking? No, No, everyone doesn't have to trademark. And this is, um, I guess there's a lot of value in talking to a lawyer up front. Um, If you are trading under your personal name, you probably don't need a trademark. Um, I'm I'm not going to set up in somebody else's personal name um, and, and try to steal their clients and impersonate them. If you have spent a lot of money on your branding, um, a lot of money on your logo, and you've come up with something really distinctive and something that you're really proud of, and you don't have the money to rebrand, that's when I'd suggest that you trademark. Um, Just tack on that extra little bit of money um, onto the end of it, um, because you've already made that investment and you don't want to do it again. Um, So there are lots of options in the law if you haven't trademarked um, and if the cost of rebranding for you is not prohibitive, then probably don't throw more money after it into a trademark. Um, But I guess a a good lawyer and one that you trust and one that's going to be um, thinking about your budget is going to tell you whether a trademark is right for you or not or whether your money would be better spent on your terms and conditions. Um, I mean, to, to get into another example um, where I, I see women fall down all the time, e-commerce stores without returns policies. <laughs> yep. um, oh, my God. If I had a dollar for every time I saw a, a small business owner without a returns policy go, You'd I've just be been rich. burned. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. Oh so you really just want someone who thinks about this, who lives and breathes it every single day, who knows, okay, you're in e-commerce. You need Your first thing that you need is a returns policy. If you get nothing else please get your returns policy. Um, Or if you've just spent five or 10 grand on your amazing website and your branding, please get a trademark. And it really is, um, usually what I do is is a half hour, an hour conversation with a business owner and go, okay, what is your business? What's the value in your business? What do we need to protect? What are your risks? Let's put our money into this. This is actually what's going to manage your risk the best. Um, so, I'm just thinking about the um, like-minded bitches drinking wine Facebook group. Yes, yes, How that's the exact times, one. <laughs> yeah, do people go in and just say such and such and I don't know if I should, you know, my returns policy. And I suppose the other thing that I hear come up a lot, and it happened to me, I had some T's and C's, and I had someone say to me um, that – would you mind if I just used yours? Yes, <laughs> like, that happens all the time. Of course, yep. you know, I've paid for mine. Yeah, you go and have it for free. Um, no. But you know what so- <laughs> they do as well? So nobody other than a lawyer knows what the word liability means. Like you kind of know what it means, but you don't really know what it means. And they borrow someone else's terms and conditions and they go, I don't know what that paragraph means. I'll just delete that bit because I don't get it. 
And so they end up with these amazing terms and conditions, but they actually haven't dealt with their liability. And for me, that's just making my head explode. I'm that little emoji with the, you know, yeah. the, the exploding head because <laughs> that's the bit, like that's the crux of it. That's what you want. Um, and you've just taken it out. So please, if even if you copy someone else's, please send it to a lawyer to just run their eyes over it. Um, because yeah, just, just deleting the bits that you don't get is going to get you in trouble. Oh, I know. And and that's the thing, like it, people do pay for their own. So please don't mm. rip them off. It's so frustrating. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> pay yeah. for your own. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just think it trademarking, just back with trademarking, yes. just a question. Um, does that cover you because the world is so small nowadays? Um, would that cover you for Australia and overseas? Or do you even bother about those that live outside of Australia? Uh, so anyone who who is trading outside Australia, so if you're um, sending products or services to people that aren't in Australia, um, you would consider um, having overseas protection, particularly if that's a large part of your market. Um, but generally, an Australian trademark is going to suit 98% of people. Um, overseas registrations are, are tricky, they're expensive. Um, that's not to say they can't be done. Um, it's it's just coming back to where your business value, where your business risk is and where your money is best invested. Um, it's really coming back to that sort of value call. Um, so, yeah, if you're always dealing with people uh, in New Zealand, for example, you're always shipping products to New Zealand, it would be a disaster for your business if somebody in New Zealand set up with a similar name to you. Absolutely, we should trademark there. Yeah, yeah. I think we need to talk offline. I've got a question. <laughs> uh, no problem. Good old trademarking. Um, yeah. <laughs> Anywho, um, what about some other options? Like um, I know lots of people go into partnership and it's it's a funny one. I'm actually on the fence with partnerships. I see them work so very well um, mm. because I get to interview those amazing people and yes. then I see them go, yeah, that's so great. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Um, so partnerships falling apart oh, is probably about 25% of the work I did last year, uh, which is dreadful. Um, but it's actually, I mean, if we talk about where the economy was and where we talk about where public sentiment was and where, where people are generally just feeling a bit anxious in, in life, um, that's when we see partnerships start to fall apart. Uh, it's most common when businesses aren't making a huge amount of money, then they start infighting and, and things just go ass up, basically. Um, so, yeah, it, what I do with a lot of businesses is sit down and write partnership agreements um, right at the start. And it's really awkward um, because what I do is come into a room with two people or on a Zoom with two people or, or more and say, all right, so what if you get hit by a bus tomorrow? What happens to the business? Um, if you have a co- you, if you're lying in a coma, um, what happens to the business? If you go on mat leave, do you still get profits from the business? Um, what happens if you don't have enough money to keep going? How do we get another partner in? Um, and I just ask this probably 20 super awkward questions. And sometimes they fight about things and have disagreements with things. Um, restraints of trade, we always talk about. That's always a good source of um, discussion. And what we do is lay out all of those things that you could fight about in five or ten years. We fight about them up front when you're still friends. Um, and then you don't have to have the fight later on. 
Uh, <laughs> so yeah, there's there's a lot of value in sort of getting someone to have that mediated conversation up front when you're all, you know, thinking puppies and rainbows and millions of dollars. Um, what are your roles and responsibilities is, is something that people don't sit down and talk about. Um, what are you going to do? What are you going to be responsible for? Who files the bass? Who talks to the accountant? Um, who puts the, the products in the boxes and the shipping labels on? Do we have employees that do that? You know, how much do we pay them? Who makes that decision? Um, so these are all things that are too practical that people don't sit down and talk about but cause massive disputes later on because you think you understood something, they think that they understood something, you never really understood each other and then it all falls out yeah. later on. Have you, how, what's your, where do you sit with partnerships? Are you, like, do you know oh, what I mean? Like from what you yes. see, I'd love to know. Like, Do you think they can work? You know, I literally was called by a recruiter on Friday and she was asking me if I was interested in going into partnership with another quite successful business that I have a lot of admiration for um, and and sort of adopting their, their structures to help me grow um, a little yeah. bit quicker. I couldn't run away fast enough. Honestly, <laughs> I would not go into partnership with anybody. And it's this professional pessimist thing that I've just seen it go wrong so many times. Yeah. And it probably goes right more often than it goes wrong. But because because of what I do for a living, I just couldn't. Um, it's probably, you know, emergency doctors never own motorbikes. It's, I could never be in partnership with somebody because I just do so many disagreements. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, it, it's quite funny. Mm. Um, collaborations. Do you think mm-hmm. there's a bit of a grey area around those at all? Oh, I love collaborations. I think um, – I mean, I don't like the idea of being in partnership with somebody forevermore and then having that awkward conversation when someone wants to get out. I think having a project that two people or more um, bring their skills together and offer something unique um, that really trades off the best of everybody's skills, I think that that's great. Um, And it just needs to sort of be project specific, have a natural end date um, and not sort of open-ended forevermore because life happens and life is messy and do you really want to be dealing with the fallout of somebody else's divorce or somebody else's death in your business not really um (laughs) now back to you working a business um what's what's it been like what's your highs and lows at the moment uh highs and lows I think um just how well I've been supported has been amazing um I think learning to work by myself and learning how to choose a suitable laptop and um, do my own IT and learn how to write (laughs) bills, Um, you know, these have all been maybe not low points, moderate points. Oh, my gosh. No, (laughs) IT is low point, I tell you. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. I think Uh, us that have worked in big business um, with IT teams, that's just the one thing you take for granted, isn't it? So, you know, I always just do the, all right, what would they normally tell me? Restart. Mm -hmm. I'll just turn it off and turn it on. Let's see if that works. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Um, I think, yeah, that work-life balance part has been super hard. Um, You know, I mentioned that month three and month four of my business were just when when I had 
this realization. I was running a business and it was really busy. Um, and that's when I found out I was pregnant with my second baby as well. Um, and that was a really tricky pregnancy. Um, I was in hospital for, for nine weeks towards the end of that um, pregnancy. And um, yeah, that was just, you know, having a toddler. I was in Melbourne, having a toddler at home. He was 16, 17 months um, thinking that I was going to have a premature baby any day of the week trying to run the business like that was probably a low point for me trying to go ah oh, I have two children I have a business what have I done <laughs> it's almost when you want to handball to the CEO or to yeah an exec and say hey can you manage this I've just got to tap yeah. out for a bit yeah yeah <laughs> and there's no one and oh. then I mean this this week um my baby had gastro and then I had gastro oh, and I was trying to to sort of manage my emails and manage the work and deadlines and things around that. And I, you know, those are the days where I just go, what have I done? Um, (laughs) But then also I think, well, I haven't had to call anyone and say, I'm really sorry. I can't come in again. Um, My baby's sick again. Um, You know, it's me working from three till 5 PM and then again from three till 5 AM to get everything done. Um, and that being the best fit for me to run my business. Can you even imagine explaining that to an employer? Like I really am lucky. They're, um, you know, pretty first world problems. Um, but those are the days that I do kind of look at myself and go, oh, this is hard. Have I made it harder than it needs to be? Um, I just think if it's going to, it's not ever going to be harder than this though, Sarah. Like honestly. <laughs> God, having, I hope so. No, just having yeah. newborns is just, and even their newborn to their gosh, to even the time that they're pre-kinder, like they change so much. Like it's great when they're newborn because they just, they don't move. They don't do anything. And then when they start moving, I think that's just next level. Yeah. Um, Because you sort of just can't sit at the desk, get a bit in and just, you know, foot on the pusher or the rocker. and just Yeah. Yeah. And that's exactly where we are. The youngest is seven and a half months. So he's just, you know, up on hands and knees and just trying to rock at the moment. So yeah, you work when you can. And I, as you, you said, do. that in itself is a bonus though. It is. Um, it's such a luxury. Um, yeah. Yeah. As much yeah. as it's hard, it's actually easier. Mm. Do you think you'll go back to a nine to five ever? Oh, I can't imagine it. I don't even know by the time that I would be ready to go back to a nine to five, I don't even know whether it will exist. Yeah. 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 I think that there is so much momentum and COVID has been so good for that that people are, are revolting against the nine to five work mm. week. Um, I hope it'd so. be really interesting to see if it's still there in, you know, 20, 25 years when my kids are grown and gone. Yeah. Um, I know that there's still some businesses that are struggling, even though, you know, they've had staff work from home during the last two years. Um, there's that expectation that they should be back in the office now when in fact it just just that little bit of flexibility to work two out of the five days at home can be I don't it just it can be good for everyone. Um, just in terms of, you know, your output, your even just your happiness in mm, your role. <laughs> that's exactly right. You know? Yep. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think everybody has seen benefits from it. And consistently, all of the surveys are saying that the the balance that most people want is that two days at home. Yeah, yeah. I can understand that, definitely. Um, 
you know, I'd still love two days in a co-working space though, to be around other people. Like, I mean, I work home, um, 24 seven and it's, it can be so isolating. So as you said, there's balance for everything, whether that's, you know, um, running your own business, working from home by yourself, you still need to get out there and network and connect with people. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me, has there been a group or a friend of yours that we need to know about who's helped you on this journey? Um, absolutely. So um, I would probably give my biggest shout out from the last 18 months of being in business to Claire Fountain from Sorted. Um, I worked with her, um, must have been around September last year. She helped me to prepare my business plan and it's absolutely been worth its weight in gold. So basically she untangled my brain. She put it on a whiteboard Um, She made it infinitely better and she set me up for success in less than two hours. Um, So I I just think she's magic. Um, So you have a business plan, Sarah? I do, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Of course Um, you do. (laughs) So not surprised. (laughs) Um, I'm also working with Beth from Media Avenue on my website, which will launch next month. Um, And she said I'm the first person that's ever given her a privacy policy in terms of use. Um, <laughs> but we want to see this from everyone and maybe with Beth working with you and seeing yes. that it, it then comes to her saying to the next client hey I think you really should you need this this and this and this is who you need to get in contact to get that like I think that's how that our little economy works as you know it is. Women in business yeah yeah Absolutely. And I have to say my accountant, my photographer, my web designer, my brand designer, all of them are regional women. They're all from Central Vic. Um, It's a rule of mine that all of my service providers are women-owned regional businesses um, because I think um, if we're going to dismantle the patriarchy, we can't keep giving them our money. Um, (laughs) You know, we need to create our own economy. um, And I I'm putting myself out there and I'm saying, you know, women in small business, please come and support another woman in small business. And if I don't do it that myself, um, I'm a hypocrite. So um, that's really important to me. It's one of my uh, core business values. And and I'd encourage everybody else to consider that as one of their, their core values as well. Yeah. And it's not hard. You'll find someone in any industry that you need. I can and assure you. so good. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Absolutely. You, you don't compromise on quality. I mean, yeah, all of the people that I work with, I'm just amazed by how skilled they are, how creative they are, how they solve a problem I've been stewing on for six months in about three minutes. Um, you know, they're just brilliant people that we have to choose from. Yeah. And look, we may not get out to a golf course and, you know, <laughs> or sit at a bar or a pub or anything, but I just think um, just our word of mouth and the way that we recommend and lift other women up, uh, especially on Instagram, it might be just a DM, like someone puts up their stories, oh, does anyone know, you know, someone that could do something in this industry? And before you know it, like people are just saying, yeah, try this person, that person. And um, yeah, it's just, it's great. So whenever you do get a chance, shout out another woman in business that you know of. Um, I mean, God, every sale, every inquiry even just lights us up, doesn't it? It does. Yeah. (laughs) It's so good. Yeah. Oh, very good. 
Well, I actually could pick so much more apart um, in terms of just the the legal side of, of business. Um, it's something that I don't understand, Sarah. And as you said, there's so many big words in there. Yeah. Um, and trademarking is something that's really high on my list at the moment. But again, I'm just, I'm not sure what that first step is or, um, and how to do it. I do now. I'm just going to ask you. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> well, so this is, this is a question I get asked all the time. And so one of the big things that I worked with um, with Claire was how do I make all of this information accessible, you know, in terms of time, in terms of money for women in small business. And what I'm working on at the moment is um, a 10-part course uh, where you go through in your own time one topic will be trademarking, one will be partnerships, um, one will be terms and conditions, and it will help you go through and understand what you need to do and whether it's relevant for you. Um, so I'm hoping, you know, how long does a course take to develop? Oh, um. oh my gosh, yeah. <laughs> Look, get that first version out and then polish. Yeah, it's never going to be perfect. Just get that first out. Yes. Let's say... Let's say six, 12 months, somewhere in there, I'm hoping to launch something that people can jump on. They can educate themselves. Um, they're not paying through the nose through it for it. Uh, and they can, you know, take that to their lawyer, their preferred lawyer, if it's not me, it's somebody else and say, okay, I'm an empowered consumer. I know what I need. I know what a trademark is. I know how much it should cost me. Um, I know what the issues are in my partnership that I want to get in writing. I've already prepared my draft. Can you just look at it for me? Um, and those are the things that, um, you know, help you control your budget and control your legal spend. So oh, yeah, fingers crossed, this is something amazing. that works. <laughs> it will. Absolutely. I mean, I don't think it matters how long you've been in business either. Like this is my second in six or seven years. Yeah. I still know nothing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I've, as you said, you usually get burnt to learn a lesson. So I definitely have those contracts in place, but you know, I know myself there's, um, you know, client release forms that I need to get up and going. And there's been something in the back of my mind, like, oh my God, I've got to do that. Um, so yeah, no, I think it'll be fabulous and I can't wait till it launches. And um, yeah, I'm jumping on it. For yeah. Sure. And if, if there are any um, content creators listening, <laughs> please shout out. <laughs> there'll be plenty, plenty. Yes. I love it. Thank you so much. I think you've done such a really brave thing in, um, in starting your own business as always it's always a big brave courageous thing but um I'm in awe of your success with it as well and the fact that you have two under two oh my god <laughs> I um I don't ever you like at all <laughs> I can remember those days and I never ever want to go back there <laughs> yeah it's a bit mental but thank you so much for this platform it is so important to have these voices that we can listen to um and I listened to to the whole series while I was holed up in hospital by myself and it's just so inspiring it's conversational you learn so much you leave inspired and I just yeah I think what you do is amazing so thank you so much for, for providing this platform and doing what you do and connecting all of these people oh thank you I just I love that people are willing to share their knowledge too I think that is where the power is um, by sharing it so that someone else can then use that in their own business or in their own life and um, yeah it's just good karma and hopefully it, it makes all of us better and together stronger and as you said yeah yeah we might be able to overtake that patriarchy one day let's hope maybe maybe one yeah, day maybe one day <laughs> 
Thank you so much for being a guest and I cannot wait to see your online course and cannot wait to talk to you offline (laughs) about all my legal issues, uh, starting with trademarking. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Kimberly. Thanks, Sarah. Now, before you take off with all that inspiration and knowledge, we'd love for you to leave a review on our podcast so that we can continue to amplify women's voices in the media. And if you have any questions, we'd like to celebrate a win. You can always connect with us on Facebook and Instagram at Oak Magazine AU. I'm so glad we've met and that now you know a friend of mine. <laughs>